We have been talking about, for the last three weeks, now this four, right? New life. We've been going through Philippians. That God has called us to, when Jesus came to, this, to, to, to the earth, he didn't just come to make us believe better things. Right? He didn't just come to make an improved version of you. Right? He didn't just come to, to do a patchwork job on, on a broken soul. He came to give you a new life. Right? He's called us to something so wholly different than what we were that, that really when we get to the eternal point, we will almost be unrecognizable, the difference. Right? What we are called to is something called glory, and you'll be glorified. But the cool thing is, is that we don't have to wait until eternity to start seeing the effect of that in our world today. We are invited to live the new life now. And that's what Philippians is all about. That's why when we read the book of Philippians, those four chapters, it is a book of joy. Right? There's the word joy we find over and over and over again in the book. In fact, the word rejoice. You get joy and bring it back. Keep bringing that joy. That's the life of Christ. It's a life of joy. And what is joy? Joy is our reality plus our hope. Remember that. Right? It's not just our reality. It's not just what, it's our reality plus our hope. And that's the amazing thing, why we can have that joy. Because your reality may be awesome right now, or it may be lousy right now, but here's the cool thing. Our hope is an eternal hope, right? We found in, in Ephesians, it's, or Philippians, we started, it started saying that this new life began, chapter one, it tells us that it begins with a new message, right? That new message that we have is, right? We could have horrible news. God could have abandoned us. He could say we abandoned him, but he didn't. We have a new message that we live by. The message of this world, the message that we have that without God is this. That it's about me. Got to take out, look out for number one. Got to make my life the best it possibly can be. And hopefully by just sheer will and sheer luck, somehow my life will be pleasurable for a time. Right? I'm going to eat, drink, be married because tomorrow I die. That's the message before or if we want to go to the message of other religion, the message of just religion is, I, if I can be good enough, maybe I can attain a place where that I can get good things. That maybe if I do enough good stuff, then good karma is going to come get me. Right? It's all about my power and what I deserve. And the problem with that is, that's really hard to attain. It's hard to be good. Right? And here's the other thing is that we all know that we're not all perfect. And so that's not a great message. It's a message that locks us into law. It's a message that locks us in. I have to, I have to form myself into a, to live a certain way that I never would live normally. I've got to abide by this external law because I'm broken in here. So somehow I can be good enough so I can get good things. That's exhausting. That's not good news. So that's the news. That's the message of this world. We recognize the new life begins with a whole different message. The good news. And that good news starts with this. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Isn't it amazing that we can be freed from selfishness, from self-concern? That God, it, the message of Christ starts is not about me. It's about him. It's about eternal things. But it doesn't end there. It says that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is an amazing good news. 
It's not based upon how good you are. It's based upon how good God is. That's, that's a phenomenal thing. That's why it's such good news. It's not a contingency based upon how you perform. God has already performed quite well. And he saved us. But the good news doesn't end there. You see, that, that would be a conversion message. A message that says, well, it's all about just being in a saved position. But I'll tell you what, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm so glad God didn't leave me where I was when I first accepted Jesus. So the good news goes into this. It says, I'm saved. I've been born again, but I don't stay an infant forever. I grow up, and as I follow Jesus, he transforms me from the inside out. So I become a blessing to God and the world. Right? So chapter 1, we begin this new life, this whole new message, and then we see in chapter 2 how that message, how it begins to change us. That not only we begin this new way to life, we've been called into a new life, but then God gives us a new character to live that life in. And gives us these examples of people who have lived this new life. Right? And, and how God... He says, listen, this is the new character in this kingdom. This is for you too. And he tells us, we're supposed to follow you. Like, we get humility like Christ was humble. Right? We get to live a life of courage. We get to live a life of peace. We get to live a life of, of faithfulness. We get to live a life of, of real obedience, not false, forced obedience. It's an amazing kind of life. And along with that new life, that new obedience that we have in Christ, we also have inside of us then this, uh, this, this new perspective of living. This new way to, to see the world. Right? That, that the way the world, everybody else sees it is like this is all there is. We look at our world and it seems so real, so everything, because it's all we've ever known. But it's temporary. Now this world's going to pass away. You are not going to stay here forever. That's good news, isn't it? Right? The way that we used to see the world, the perspective was, it's about what I see today. Am I secure today? Am I happy today? Is, 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 my, is my joy found in what's happening in my life right now? But the new perspective has been this. In chapter 3, we recognize, we've been called to, that we have a heavenly perspective. We don't have to live for small things. We don't have to live for temporary things that will someday pass away, that will move on. That we get to recognize the reality of the fact that we are eternal beings. And we are called to eternal home. Right? And so we can live as part of God's gift, which really puts everything kind of in its place. There are mountains you're facing today, but in the scope of eternity, in the scope of the God that is with you, they are not even worthy of being called mohills. Scripture says light and momentary afflictions, although they don't feel like it today. Perspective is this. We live for what is forever. Now today, I think the raising good news is that we don't do it alone. Chapter 4 reminds us that we have, we're doing this because we have a new partner. And that partner is God. Of course, that partner has been what we've been talking about. All you get to see my, my slides because today is a weird day. Okay, Philippians 4, 13. This has been our memory verse all the way through it. Right? It talks about a new partner. Where's the power to live this new kind of life? Well, it says I can do all this through him. That's Christ who gives me strength. That's the new, that's the power. Aren't you glad that we're not in this alone? So before we go into the message, we talk about this new, this new partner that we have that allows us to live this new life. Let's just set this 
to our, in our hearts again, just remind ourselves of this great truth. So say it along with me. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. That's not powerful. Again, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. One more time, just to set it to our hearts. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. That's not just words. I can do it. Are you in a place in life where the mountain looks too big? So I can't do this. Well, on your own, you can't. But you can do all this through him who gives you strength. I can do all what? Well, Paul, in in context, we will see that in today's text. It starts with the superpower of contentment. But it's really all of life. That's a principle that we see that God has called us to do amazing things, to, to be overcomers in this world, and it's not up to just your power and your strength and your ability and your faithfulness. You could do all of this through him who gives you strength. If you haven't set that to your heart, to your mind, right? you haven't, you haven't tattooed that to your soul yet, that passage, I, I invite you to do that this week. This is a powerful passage. It is God's word. It will set you free. And so this is what you could do on, the, on your connection card. In the top part, of there's a little flap there. It's got the memory verse. Take that, pull it off. Put it somewhere you're going to see it because the enemy's always going to be there to tell you you're not enough. And you can say, you're right, devil. I am not enough, but I can do all this through him because he's more than enough. That's what you can do. I can do all this through him. Okay, now, let's get our Bibles. Let's open up Philippians chapter four. We bring this series, this book, to a conclusion you have one of our Bibles on 820, if you need a Bible, we've got plenty of them in the back by the sound booth. You can use one of those, and if you need a Bible, please keep it. Our gift to you. Now, Philippians 4, Paul is wrapping up his letter. That's what this originally was. It was a letter to the church of Philippi, a church that was a great partner of ministry for him. Right? Remember, at the very beginning of the letter, we recognize that this church in Philippi, that Paul planted, the first church in, in Europe, supported him all the way through his ministry. He, he, they... Uh, and to the point that when he writes this letter, he's in a prison in Rome. He's frustrated by that, but he's at peace because he knows that God's in it. And they, this church sends a gift, a financial gift and a gift of support and a, emotional support. They send a, a brother in Christ to go and minister to Paul while he's in prison. They proved their support. They said, we're partners with you, Paul, in this great ministry. And Paul concludes this letter by saying, yes, we are partners. But he also points them to the real partner that they hold in common. And that is God. In fact, he doesn't say that God is just our partner. In this chapter, we see three incredible benefits of that partnership that we have with God. And it starts with this, verse 1 through 9, we see the benefits of having God's partnership that we receive God's peace. This world is a place that causes anxiety, isn't it? And you guys ever worry about stuff? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's natural for us. We see the wickedness in this world and it troubles us. We see the brokenness in this world, and it affects us. It hurts us, right? We see the instability of this world, and it scares us, right? It's natural for people. If you've ever worried about something, welcome to humanity, right? We are, we are finite beings, and we are wholly dependent, right, upon oftentimes things that have nothing to do with us. And because of that, a lot of our life is lived in anxiety and fear, we're trying to control stuff that we have no control over or we're dependent upon, our security is dependent upon things that we have no control over. That's why Jesus said, listen, uh, people in this world, he said, how do they live most of their lives? 
said, aren't they always anxious? Worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, where they're going to work, where they're going to live, all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus said, it doesn't have to be that way with you. In fact, he said, not so with you. He gave us a different way. God came, and there's a difference now that we have partnership with God, is that we can enjoy an amazing gift, a benefit of God's partnership in our life, which is something that most people in this world would give everything for. And that's peace. Now, in chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 4, we had just gotten to the tail end of Paul talking about how we have this, uh, this uh, citizenship in heaven, right? Our new perspective that we remember we live for eternal things, that we are part of God's kingdom. And then we have the, the challenge that he gives us to live like citizens of the kingdom of heaven, right? Right, we're supposed to live for eternal things, like God is really with us, that we're really with him. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, I, dear friends, I love the fact he tells us to stand firm. He starts with the fact that we have the peace of God's kingdom wherever we are. Have you ever seen a, a, like a, a war movie? I'm a guy, so I, I like those, right? We have the war movie because it calls people up to courage, right? And you see some of those movies and, and the guys are like in the midst of a, of a thick fight or something like that. And usually like there's a captain or somebody that's there. It's like, hold firm, hold the line, right? And then... Because you're on your couch eating potato chips, you're thinking, yeah, hold the line. But if I was on that line, I would be thinking of going somewhere else. Maybe line dancing. I don't know. <laughs> to stand firm, not just hold your ground. Stand firm. We're not afraid. This world may look big, but it is tiny compared to our God. It is not me versus the world. It is God has overcome the world. I'm with him. I'm with him. You know, God gave us an amazing promise in Scripture. And it wasn't that he wouldn't give us more than we could handle. That's not in Scripture. The promise was that he would not give us any more temptation than we could handle. Now, the promise that God gave us, which is this, he will not give you more than he can handle, and he will never leave you. You're with God. There is nothing so big that it can take us down. So stand firm. That is the peace of God's kingdom. That's what allows us to stand and look eye to eye with the devil in this world and say, I am not afraid. We can look evil in the face and say, you are defeated and you will not take me down. We can look at the brokenness in this world and we can say, you may be bigger than me, but you are not bigger than him. This is why we stand firm. It is the peace of God's kingdom. It happens when we remember our citizenship, when we hold to that perspective. This world's going to end, but the new one's coming. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. But you know, it doesn't just end with the peace of the kingdom. Oftentimes, those of us in Christ, we say it's the peace of God. Right? It's, it's, it's what we end with. But that chapter just began. That's just the first verse. You see, we go from the peace of the kingdom. Paul then talks about the benefit that we have peace in the kingdom. You see, there were these two women that Paul served with, and they were mighty warriors for the kingdom of Christ. But they were having difficulty getting along. Did you know that good Christians sometimes get in debates? That sometimes Christians don't get along? That actually happens. He says here in verse 2 and 3, he says, I plead with you, Eudora and, and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. 
Isn't that awesome? We don't resolve conflicts based upon did I win or lose. In Christ, we have peace, not because I'm right or you're right, but because he's right. We have peace because we can disagree on important things. Did you know that? But we can find unity in Christ. That's the power in it. I mean, that's an amazing thing to say, listen, somebody wronged me. If you're a, Sometimes Christians hurt other Christians too. Do you ever notice that? Not just me, right? When that happens, you know what we can do? We can forgive. We can seek reconciliation. Right? We don't have to continue the war. We can have peace in this place because God has forgiven us. We can... We can come together and say, you know what? I see things differently than you, genuinely see things differently than you, right? But I don't have to beat you over the head until you disagree with me. Why? Because we have the wisdom of God. We pray that God will hold us together in this. We've got his word, and we're going to pray, and we're going to seek his word, we're going to find it until we come together. Until then, we can still love one another. We can still serve one another because it's not about my kingdom. It's not about everything going my way. It's about things going his way. It's about him, not me. That's peace in the kingdom. You know, a lot of wars, a lot of fights in families, and a lot of fights in, in, in communities happen because you have two sides, each wanting their own way. You know, amazing things, we finally get past the fact that I'm not going to get my own way, and that's good, that I'm going to get God's way. And if you could come together with me and, and pursuing what God wants, there is unity. We harness together. That's peace in the kingdom. Aren't you glad that God brought you to a functional church family? A family that says, listen, we're not going to cover up our our differences. We're not going to pretend we love one another. We have a space here that is a foundation of grace and love, and therefore we can talk about things that we disagree with. We can actually be open about our pain so we can talk it through and we can reconcile. And in the process, we can offer grace to one another because our God has offered us grace, which gives us the freedom and the courage to be able to resolve real things. There are no landmines in the kingdom of God. We don't bury things. God resolves. That's the peace in the kingdom. And I think that's cool too. I love the fact that both of these sisters were faithful women of God. The false narrative is this. There's always a good guy and there's always a bad guy. Sometimes there's just two people who see things differently. We don't have to demonize the other people. God. And if we can come together and say, he's right, and we're going to go together in this, and I'm going to love you until I can like you, right? And I'm going to listen to you until I understand you, right? And even if we don't, we're going to still follow him. That's power. That's what Jesus said. When we can love people like that, we'll be a testimony to the world that we're not just like other people, that we're actually God's children. That's peace in the kingdom. But it doesn't just end with peace in the kingdom. Then we also, he goes on in verse 4 through 7, and he says that we have peace to God's kingdom. Right? There's one thing about saying, hey, get along, but then you have this emotional stuff we've got to deal with. In verse 4, he addresses that, that God actually imparts his peace to us. How does it happen? Well, in verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's hard. Right? Am I the only one? I had one of those weeks that was just like somebody came out with a bat and just started beating me with it. You ever one of those weeks? Yeah, right? It's hard when you have a week like that to rejoice. Like, bam, praise God, bam, praise God, bam, right? That's hard. But I'll tell you what, there's power in that. The reason that God can tell us to rejoice because rejoicing is not just a 
have to live in a higher way. We don't live reactionary lives like everybody else who reacts to their environment, who reacts to what's happening. We have the ability to respond to this life. We have the ability to respond to what's happening because we can respond to the reality of who God is in our life. That's why I can rejoice always. Not because my life is always good, but because my God is always good and he's always working in my life. And so I can rejoice. If things are hard, I don't know how he's going to carry me through it, but I know he will. I don't know what he's up to, but I know it's good. It may look like a big beast, but it's about to fall. I rejoice. My God is enough to rejoice. I choose how I respond. I have that ability. And then he gives us, how do we do that? I love how God's word doesn't put a burden on us without giving us the help. Look what it says next. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How? Let your gentleness be evident to all. It starts with this. I don't react. When I'm feeling threatened, I don't feel gentle. Right? You don't get into a fight with somebody and you're like, oh, give me a hug. Right? Usually when somebody wounds you, your posture is aggressive or it's going to get out of here. But we can choose to respond in any situation in gentleness because our God has been gentle to us. Right? We can choose not to react to other people, not to react to our circumstances by getting mean and irritable and nasty. We can choose to say in the midst of this, God is at work. When you have somebody falsely slamming your name, dragging it through the mud, that's a hard thing to handle, isn't it? You want to go and you just want to pound that person into the ground, right? You want to say, ah, I'm going to tell how evil you are. That's, what, that's not gentle. The reason that we can choose a different way is because we can say, God, my God already has my name taken care of. In heaven, I'm already his child. I mean, God himself, says the scripture, danced over me. Now, I don't even know what that looks like, but I bet it was awesome. It says in the word of God, the angels know you. That Jesus himself preparing a place for you in his house. That's pretty cool. So I can be gentle. I can say, well, you may be dragging my name through the mud, but they did that to Jesus. And I'm going to prove it to you by my actions and my love that that's not true. You see, we can respond differently. We don't have to retaliate. So it begins with first by choosing to respond and not react. And then it goes on. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all why the Lord is near. I love that. God's with you. That's what he's talking about. He's coming back, but God's with you. Do not be anxious about anything. How? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God gives his peace to his people. When? Well, usually when you need it. Right? When, when you are facing the trial and you choose not to respond, not to react. When you choose not to panic, not to put things in your own power and say, I've got to handle this. When you get to a point where you say, God, in all situations, with prayer and thanksgiving, I want to make my request known. God, I'm worried about this. God, this scares me. I, I don't understand. I need your wisdom in this today. This is too big for me. I need your help. When you start going to God and you recognize that he's really there, 
that he really is listening to you and his power is with you, then we're also able to go with thanksgiving. Not because we have troubles, because that would be stupid. Nobody thanks God for trouble. Do you enjoy We'll get you help. See, that's why we are called to heaven. It's paradise. It's a great place. There's no suffering there. We're not glad that we suffer. We're glad that God's at work in our suffering. That's why we, we, why do we give thanks? Not for our suffering, but we give thanks for the God who is with us in the suffering, for who he is. If you're going through financial troubles, be grateful that God says that he's your provider, that he will give you what you need, that you don't have to live like the people of this world. You just seek his kingdom and his righteousness above all else, and he will take care of you. If you are struggling with health problems, be grateful to God that he's got this body and the next taken care of for you. That he is powerful enough to heal you today if he wants to, and if not, he's going to heal through you. He had to have ministry in your illness that you would have no concept of what he's up to, but he's doing something amazing. Be grateful that you have a hope that every one of us lose our body eventually, but you got a new one, and it's going to be like a Ferrari compared to a toaster, right? <laughs> it's awesome. It's a coming. You have relational problems. Be grateful that our God is a God who can, can solve the, even the biggest relational problem, the one between a sinful people and a holy God. And if he can do that, he can work out things between people as well. He's a God of reconciliation. He is a God of redemption. If you have problems with guilt or shame, be grateful you have God who is forgiving. If you have problems because you are being falsely persecuted, bad things are happening to you, be grateful that our God is a God of righteousness and justice. When we start praying to God in the midst of our trouble, I have thankfulness for who he is. And we bring those requests to him because now we know he can answer those requests because of who he is. Then we receive something amazing. It says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That's a peace that doesn't make sense. That's what that literally means. That you may still be in the midst of the same problem, but you won't be freaked out about it. Won't that be nice? Won't that make most of your problems way less troublesome if you weren't so freaked out, filled with fear, anxiety? You'll be actually to respond more and more to God. You'll be able to handle things because you're not trying to do things on your own. You recognize I can do all this through him who gives me strength, right? That's peace. And what happens is, you know, you'll be like, I can't imagine why I'm so peaceful about this. The world's falling apart around me and I'm fine. And you know, as a testimony to other people, to be like, why are you not freaking out? And you'll be like, I don't know. I just know that God got this. I am not telling you this from theory. I have practiced this. We had some big things happen in my life and I started practicing it then and I've been practicing this still and I will tell you over and over again, anxiety will come, panic will come in and I'll be like, oh, that's right. Let my request to him, God, I don't understand what you're doing in this, but I need you and I'm thankful for who you are and I know that you can handle this. Give me the strength to follow you, right? And it doesn't, for me, for other people it happens different. For me, it doesn't ever happen like immediately. Usually God lets me sit with that unease for a while. I'm, I'm putting this in his hands. I'm like, God, I really am trusting you with this. And the temptation will come to take it back in my own power. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm giving it to God. I need your help. This is too big for me. But every single time, and I've been doing this for five years now. I've been a Christian for 20. I lived for 15 years as a Christian with anxiety, and I didn't need to. Start applying this, God starts setting us free. And then we were able to have with a clear mind, and then we're able to handle our situations, respond to what God is doing in a much better way. I can experience his peace today. That's the peace that God gives to his kingdom. That's that's phenomenal. But he doesn't end there. 
You see, the peace that God gives to his kingdom, he doesn't just stop. He gets then verses, what is it, uh, 8 and 9? He goes, peace then goes through God's kingdom. We, we read about that in verse uh, 8. So it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. And guess what? The God of peace will be with you. You want the God of peace with you. You want to be able to, to sense his presence in your life. Start looking for him. That's why it says, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble. Our God is at work with us, isn't he? That God is with us. And so we get to choose what are we going to look at. The world tries to put this veil over our eyes and says, you know, everything is chaotic and you've got to be terrified. So the enemy, the lie of the enemy tells us that too. But this is an invitation to say you can look at the reality. That God is pure and noble and right and lovely and good. He's at work in my life today. That's the promise of Scripture. When I start looking for God, guess what I find? God. And you know what makes you feel a lot better? When God's there with you, right? Think about any problem. If you could actually see Jesus standing next to you, he's like, I got this. You'd be feeling good. This is how we see him. There's a good story that, that we read about in an event that took place in the life of Jesus. I think it uh, really shows us so well. That Jesus was, was tired. So he sends his apostles on a boat. He's like, go take a boat ride. I'm going to go up to the mountains. I'm going to rest. I'm going to talk to the Father. And so the, the disciples are on the boat. And they're, most of them, a lot of them are fishermen, so they're good on water. But nonetheless, a storm comes up, and they can handle the storm, right? But it's a storm, and they're like, oh, all this kind of stuff. And Jesus, they don't, can't see Jesus, not with him and all that. And things go then from bad to worse, because then they see a ghost walking across the water at them, right? So that's not good, right? So a moment probably, and then the ghost calls out and says, hey, I'm not a ghost. I am Jesus, your Lord, right? You're Okay. Apostles are on the boat, and they're like, oh, and they just hear Jesus say, hey, I'm walking on water. Phenomenal to see. And Peter says, all right, if you really are Jesus, not a ghost, prove it. Call me out there. I want to come out and see you. Which is a crazy thing to ask. Because you just think about that for a second. What if Jesus was actually a benev- like a mean ghost that was tricking him? Right? But Peter gets in the water, like, Psh, and the ghost is like, ha, 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 I got you, right? And then he would drown. But, Jesus said, yeah, come on out. And so Peter, in the midst of this storm, right, steps out of the boat. Big waves, right? So he's like walking up hills and down hills, like everything's like this. And he's looking at Jesus, right? He's pure and right love. He got to see the power of God in his life, and others got to see it too. It was awesome. And then he stopped looking at what's pure and right and good, started looking at his troubles around him, the wind and the waves, what it says in Scripture. And all of a sudden, splash into the water. He didn't have the power to walk over those waves on his own power. And you know what was really cool? Is as soon as he hit the water, he recognized he made a mistake. And so what does he do? He says, help! Because he's going to drown and Jesus is there. Doesn't shame him, picks him up, gets him on the boat. And this is important for us to recognize that, that we, Peter had great peace that God was with him when he kept his eyes on him. Whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, right? This is what gave him the ability to see his problems in the right perspective, when he took his eyes off of what God was doing, then he saw the things around him and he was filled with anxiety. This is, I think, a scripture partly for us. This is the power of God that we say we're supposed to see what God is, look, look for what God is doing in our life. Fixate on that. God is not bad. He's not mean, even though our circumstances can be scary. 
And then it says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or even seen me doing, put into pot. This is obedience. This is the power of obedience in our life. How many times when we get into the storm, we put things in our own power. We say, oh, I'm freaked out. I don't know if God really has this, so I'm going to do this on my own power. And then we sink. And here's the thing. Be faithful. You can actually trust God. Stand firm. When we look for God, then we have to obey what he tells us to do. Maybe you're in a storm in your life right now, and God is saying, you need to repent. That's your act of faithfulness. Say, God, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to stop doing this thing that has been destroying me or my family. I mean, God say, trust me. You need to take a step of faith. That's why it's called faith. You don't see the other side, but I'll mean This is where we begin to follow God. And when you start seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness above all else, when you actually start following him, that's when we experience the peace of God in our life. If you are in Christ and you're looking for God, but you're walking a disobedient life, you're doing things you know God doesn't want you to do, no wonder you're not experiencing faith or peace. But when you start obeying Christ, you can't control other people, you can't control the world, but you can follow Jesus just one more step today. God of peace will be with you. And what happens when people start obeying Christ in this world and the God of peace is with them? Where do we carry Christ, this God of peace? Where did he call us to go? In our world. You have family members, you have People that you're in your neighbors, you have people that you work with, you have grandchildren and, and other folks like that. You have people in your life that live from turmoil to turmoil. Their life is dictated by, by the weather forecast of the troubles of this world. And you can walk with peace in every season. And you can carry that God of peace. We get to be his representatives. We get to walk into this world as people of peace. Isn't that amazing? This is God's peace in the world through the church. So we start with the fact that one of the great benefits that we have in God is that we have the benefit of his peace in our life. But it doesn't end there. The focus then, verse, or verse 10, shifts to then God's power. See, God's peace is oftentimes made manifest through his power, isn't it? One of the reasons that we have peace is that our God's a real living God, that he is powerful, he's not dead. And so we start in verse 10, go to 13, and we read, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm ever, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Ah, that's powerful that, God, that we have Paul talking to these people and say, listen, regardless of whether or not you're going to be faithful to God, my God's going to be faithful to me. I'm grateful for the way that you've been faithful and the benefit that I have of it. But don't misread my gratitude to you for, for codependence upon you. As Christians, we are not codependent on one another. We are absolutely dependent upon God. We are interdependent. We're a body that's supposed to be together, but we are absolutely dependent on God, and he will not let us down. See, Paul learned the power of the secret of contentment. What was that? He tells us. He can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. God is strengthening him for the work he has. Think about the, the book of, uh, of Esther, right? You have this woman who has an opportunity to save her people from annihilation. 
right? And she's getting scared. She says, I don't know if I can go and do what I need to do in order to save my people. And her uncle says, listen, let's not be naive about this, that whether or not you step up to do your role, God's going to save his people because he's faithful. The question is, you get to be part of his redemption. And if he calls you to it, he's going to call you through it, isn't he? And then we see that woman having that faith, and she takes that faith, and she goes and and does this amazing thing, and her people are saved. God works mightily through her. See, Paul was living that same thing out. He recognized in his life there were times things went well, and God was giving him abundant provision. There were times when things weren't going so well, and he was living on a little, but God still carried him through. And he learned this, that I have every day God will supply me with exactly what I need to be faithful for today. Everything that I need to be successful today, to be victorious in what he's doing in my life today. I don't have to wait and say, God, you give me what I need. God will give you what you need. So we trust in his power. Remember again, there is no problem in this world that God will give you that is bigger than him. And God's promise he will never leave you. So we look to his power. Then we also say that, that God doesn't just give us power, but then also then we have the benefit of God's provision. See, Paul was receiving God's provision through this church. Do you know how cool it is that sometimes God actually partners through us to do his ministry? It was really the rest of the chapter. Verse 14, it says, Yes, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Right? It wasn't just financial need that Paul had. He had emotional needs, spiritual needs. He was hurting just say, hey, go do it. God says, I'll provide for it. And he did. And Paul experienced it. He says, it was good for you to share my troubles. He says, uh, moreover, you as Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the, gospel, with the gospel when I was sent from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. This is a church that has been partnered with God for a long time. Uh, this is a power, this is an amazing thing. This is, a, this is an issue of dignity that God partners with us through We have his power, right? We have his peace that God gives us those things. And then God invites us to partner with him through caring for one another. That's an amazing thing. And the neat thing about that is that Paul says, listen, this wasn't just for my benefit that God did this. God would provide for me however, right? I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. But the fact that you got, that you were faithful, that you're going to receive a blessing. Look what he says there in, uh, uh, let's see, Verse 17, he says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more to, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. That's really cool. Paul's saying, listen, God's going to take care of me, but I'm so glad that he took care of me through you, that you were faithful on that because now God gets to bless you for that. And I love you. I want to see you blessed. You partner with God. So you get to see his provision in, in your life, his blessing in your life. The church at Philippi for 2,000 years now has been lifted up as an amazing church of faithfulness, an amazing church of support. They have been, uh, they, they got a part in Paul's ministry when a lot of other churches didn't. See, God not only cares for our needs, but because we know he cares for our needs, we are aware that he sometimes and regularly cares for the needs of the church and needs, and you are the church, by the way, so all of us, through each other. That God dignifies you. You have a role of care and ministry that God is at work in you and through you, caring for each other. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. This is amazing. That God's provision is not just something that's around us. It is 
something he brings through us. And we get to talk about that next week. The week of uh, month of, of February, where we really begin, and we have a series that we're talking about of this, it's called Finding Financial Freedom. Because most people in this world think that provision is something they have to gain themselves, that God is not with them. And so Jesus talked about money a lot, and really his message was this, don't let finances become your God. Most people have it as their God because what provides them security in this life? What makes sure that they're going to eat, that they're going to have a place to, to live, that they're going to have, uh, you know, it's mostly people's finances. But what happens, we put it there, and the center of our life becomes our master. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. And one of them is really mad. One is really mean. He's not very good. He's a taskmaster. But Jesus said, I can different kind of master. If you, if you try to serve both, you're going to hate one and love the other. What happens, a lot of Christians try to do that, and then we find ourselves without any type of financial freedom, that we're in bondage to our things instead of having our things being under the management of God. So I invite you to come next week in the month of February as we begin to, to really dig into this and drill in to find that freedom, that peace that God has for us in all things, putting him at the center of our life. But today, today, I want you to find this, the partnership that we have with God. To really own the fact that our God is amazing. This book has told us a whole different way of life, a new life you've been called to, a new life, a new life for you. A whole new way of being, a whole new message, a good news, a gospel for you that is not about you, it's about Jesus who loves you so much and you're saved by God's grace through faith in him as your Lord and Savior. And as you follow him, he does transform you from the inside out. You're not going to stay the same way forever. That new kind of life that leads you to becoming the person you always knew you should be, that new character that he develops in you and through you as you follow him, that new kind of life that gives you this different kind of perspective that takes away the anxiety of living, a new kind of life that reminds you that you are not in it alone. You are in it. You are, have God as a partner. And that we can do all of this through him who gives us strength.